0: If you'd like to open up your Bibles, we're going to read the Word now. Uh, There's two readings this morning. The first one is Psalm 146. Okay, so Psalm 146. Hallelujah, my soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles in man who cannot save when his breath leaves him he returns to the ground on that day his plans die happy is the one whose help is the god of jacob whose hope is in the lord his god the maker of heaven and earth the sea and everything in them he remains faithful forever executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry the lord frees prisoners the lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow. But He frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Uh, And the second reading is 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. I apologize if my version is different to what's on the screen too. Okay, 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be spot hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift uh, each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning as we continue this series of um, what it means for our church, uh, what it means for our church to be filled with the love and the life and the light of God. Uh, This series is called The Life of the Church and we've been unpacking the gospel foundations of why we do what we do. Last week we looked at church as the public household of the Spirit-filled church and I summarized that down to what it means for us to be a family on mission. Uh, I announced last week that uh, we were going to start a small Uh, launch a small group called the Mission Focus Group that Caleb prayed over this morning. Uh, They met this week, uh, this week gone, and they're going to meet again very shortly, and I'll give you an update after Tuny Kids Week about what that might look like as we journey through the rest of this year to land in Vision Month with a plan to best be an ever-growing, diverse church family. I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to engaging the whole church in that process as we lean into that, as we practice that, and as we seek more people to come to know Jesus. It's good stuff. I'm really excited about it. This week, I'm looking at another aspect of what it means. In fact, maybe even the most basic aspect of what it means to proclaim Jesus. The most common way, the most basic way throughout all of Scripture for us to proclaim Jesus is actually through our actions. Yes, people need to know about the love of Jesus and hear the gospel. But it seems to me that the most common way through all of, the, all of the Scriptures is that we might show God's love. That might undergird all that we have to say with our mouths. Now, I've heard it said, uh, if our church disappeared overnight, would our community even notice That's a very provocative way of thinking about what it means for us to be the church. I'm not talking about our building, like our actual kind of, in fact, it might be a distraction, again, to think about bricks and mortar at this stage. Would our community notice if we, the people, disappeared, raptured overnight? Uh, It's a provocative way of thinking about what Jesus says. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 13. The Apostle Paul speaks something similarly when he writes in Galatians, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Brothers and sisters, we are called to love one another here, but that love would overflow to all of those around us and that people would know that we are the disciples of Jesus because of that love. So this week we're looking at God's love in action and I'm going to attempt to preach a shorter sermon, Uh, not that we might get off earlier, no, 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 Um, so that I might invite some other voices up on this stage with me to share about what it looks like to ground this love in action, To we might hear from their experiences and their insights and so I'm going to preach through three points here, that God has always had a heart for the helpless particularly that we are called to live out the heart of God as we follow Jesus, the Great Shepherd. That's where I'm tracking through this morning. And part of that is to loop through a bunch of passages to help you see that throughout Scripture, God has been on a constant mission to love particularly the lost, the brokenhearted, the vulnerable. And we are called into that too. So let's begin. God has always had a heart, especially for the helpless. Let us not lose sight of the fact that it is a wild idea, a wild idea that God would care for us. Uh, The God of heavens, the God who made heaven and earth would care for us, for anyone really. Uh, this was hammered into me when I uh, was in the Hope Explore dinner course uh, last um, at the beginning of this term. Wow, it's felt like a long time ago, but it was after Easter, wasn't it? And uh, I was sitting next to somebody uh, who, who felt like she sort of knew of God and even knew God to an extent, uh, but, but her version of God was one who sort of just kept everything in balance, kind of at a distance, just to make sure that, you know, the, the good and the evil kind of bounced out each other. Uh, And that it was up to us, really, entirely to kind of be part of that. And the idea that God would actually know her uh, and care for her, it it blew her mind. She couldn't actually grasp it. Now, I suppose at a stretch, one could fathom maybe God taking notice of the best of us. You know, the kind of like, you know, the strongest rising up and God saying, oh, that person's pretty good. But that is not the God revealed in Scripture, is it? Look at the passage that we had read out for us this morning. Uh, That was Psalm 146. And this is just, this this exact, or this kind of framing, is repeated multiple times throughout Scripture. Psalm 146 says, The maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, he remains faithful forever. Okay, so we can kind of get on board with that. He is a mighty God who made all things. Then the psalmist goes on, executing justice... For the exploited, giving food to the hungry, the Lord frees prisoners, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord raises up those who are oppressed, the Lord loves the righteous, the Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow. Who is this God who makes the whole world, who lives in grandeur and associates with the lowly? This is the God we worship, the God who cares for the hungry, the oppressed, the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, the broken. (laughs) Why would God do that? Because that's who he is. And that's who he's revealed himself to be, a God of love and mercy, the God who is so other-centered in himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, constantly a dance of love towards the other that so overflows towards us that He would lift us up. In this passage and in so many passages, we see the heart of God. How does He actually care for the fatherless, for the oppressed, for the vulnerable? Like, I love that His heart is for them, but at one level as we look to the world Oh, we there's a lot of work for God to do. How does God do this? Well, as He reveals Himself to us, He especially works through us. He calls us to live out His heart. See, in God's mercy, we are saved. Last week we looked at, we were dead in our sins. We we were not just weak, we were not just stumbling, we were dead. And God so saw fit for him to reach out to us in our death, to lift us up and raise us into new life with Christ. And now he calls us to live out his mercy. See, God's people have always been called to live out the heart of God in mercy and love. From the very beginning of Scriptures, uh, we read of how God pursues a people in love, how He calls them to Himself. On one occasion, a very famous occasion, He, he calls the, the Israelites, He raises up Moses, He gives them the Ten Commandments, and after meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai, uh, in this incredible scene, Moses comes down to find that the people had already rejected God and were worshipping a golden calf instead of Him, and He could have smited them in, the spot, in that spot, right, in that very moment. And he was angry with them, very angry. But in his mercy, he rescribed the tablets and continued to speak to them. This is from Deuteronomy 10, after that moment. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And at one level, you'd kind of expect that of any God, for any God to be able to say, you owe me worship, (laughs) you need to obey me. But look at how it continues. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Sounds very Psalm 146. Then it continues. What's this God like? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. Again, sounds very like Psalm 146. And loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you, that is the Israelites, are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Our very actions, the imperatives that God calls us to live out in obedience towards him, is rooted in our very predicament. For the Israelites, he reminds them that you were foreigners, but in my love for you, I lifted you up. And so now, likewise, you love foreigners. You love like I've loved you. Or how about this from Leviticus? Leviticus 23, often sort of Leviticus is seen as like a really boring set of regulations, and sometimes it is, if you've sort of started reading the Bible from Genesis, you get to Leviticus, it's a bit slower at that point. But 23, chapter 23 says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings from your harvest. Leave them for the poor... And for the foreigner residing among you, I am the Lord your God. (laughs) Are we seeing a pattern here? I could spend hours, I think, tracing through different passages that say the same thing. We are to love others in the way we care for them, and especially those who are vulnerable, who are downtrodden, who are oppressed. See, the Old Testament people knew that everything they had was a blessing from the Lord, and it was therefore to be shared with those who were needy. Others who were also made in the image of God. Now, at one level, as I say this, probably some of you are thinking, yeah, we knew that. And I'm glad you knew that. And in some ways, our society kind of knows what it is to be charitable. But there was a time when this was absolute foolishness. It was to the ridicule of God that he would associate with the lowly. That Christians would hang out with the downtrodden. This, um, this I find incredible. Uh, this is a, a, a quote that I found from uh, John Dixon's book, *Bullies and Saints*, looking at sort of the best and the worst of the church throughout history. I highly recommend it; it's a great read. Uh, in that, he interviews Professor Teresa Morgan, who is a professor of Greco-Roman history uh, at Oxford University, and, and he asks the question: What is Christianity's most distinctive contribution to ancient life? You might have thought the gospel. Yes, but but what specifically? Charity was her answer. Christians are taught that God loves them absolutely, and on that basis, they can trust in God, they can love God, and because they are given such an abundance of God's love, they can afford to love one another with enormous, unreserved generosity. Christians knew that from the day they encountered Christ. And as they lived that out, that had a profound impact on all of history. We are called to proclaim God's kingdom. And at the most basic level, that proclamation is through love, through the way we care for others. This God of love and mercy, of justice and care, is transforming a new humanity. We are part of that now. And as we look to live that out, we are called, just as God's ancient Old Testament people were, to live out God's mercy. In our second reading uh, that Dave read out for us this morning, we had the Apostle Peter speak about what it means to put this in action. Maintain constant love for one another, he says. I mean, it's love, love, love. You sort of get sick, but let's never get sick of it. Uh, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we know that God has covered over our sins because of his love for us. And now, as we go and love richly, may we point to the forgiveness of Jesus as we do so. Be hospitable to one another. I love how basic that is. What does it mean, look, mean to, to practice this extravagant uh, grace of God? Be hospitable, just straight up. Be hospitable to the one another without complaining. Oh man, these people are so annoying to have over. Do it. Be gracious. Show God's love. And not just to those who are like you or who are your friends, but brothers and sisters and those who don't yet know Jesus. Just as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve others. Again, what we've received, we pay forward to show the love of Christ as good stewards of the very grace of God. And what I love about that is that as we meet a whole variety of people made in the image of God, as we meet the diversity of those needs, we're called to practice a diversity of gifts. And as we do that, we actually take up what it means to be the body of Christ. I cannot do everything. I am not a minister who does everything. Even if I am capable, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't steal the opportunity for others to practice the gifts they've been given. But look at this, how it continues. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. Friends, as people actually encounter us, may they know the love of Christ, May what we say and what we do, not just be for their good, but actually model Christ and point to Him. What a profound passage. How will our neighbours in our community know the love of God? Well, if you speak, let it be the very words of God. If you serve them, let it be in His strength. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, be Christ to them. For we are members of His body and He is at work in us. Now, I'm, I'm condensing a lot down, but I wonder if at this point in the sermon you're feeling both compelled to live this out and kind of like, oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? <laughs> I, have, I have such desire to want to be this, to model Christ, for I know the love of Christ, but my capacity, I'm so, I'm so tired at the moment, and, and I look around and there are so many needs, I don't even know where to start. Do you feel that? The needs are great, but so is our God. There is a simple act of faith that helps us here, to take the next step in following Jesus, the Great Shepherd. Now, Jesus is the full embodiment of God's love, mercy and justice. He came in lowly form the son of a carpenter, to walk the dusty streaks with a, a ragamuffin bunch of 12 who were a motley crew of all. And he came, we know, to preach the good news of the kingdom. Now that, that sort of phrase is actually from Luke chapter 4, uh, where Jesus says, I've got to keep moving because I came to preach the good news of Jesus. But just prior to that in Luke chapter 4, he had taken a scroll in the temple, a reading from Isaiah, uh, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the good news. Do you remember the very next bit? To the (laughs) poor? He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Let us not middle-class this, (laughs) as though we're sort of come to just do a word ministry to those people who are nice like us. Jesus came to preach the words of power, to practice these very words in his actions of love and specifically to those who were poor, those who were suffering, those who were lowly because God has always had a heart for them. On one occasion, uh, someone came up to Jesus to kind of speak of how well they were doing in a way. This was a teacher of the law and he said... I know that to inherit the kingdom of, to, to inherit eternal life, I've got to love God and love my neighbor. And, uh, you know, the subtext is, I'm actually doing that pretty well. You know, my, my neighbor here, great guy like me, we kind of love each other really well. Uh, you know, and just just to kind of check in, is that right? Who, who is my neighbor, Jesus? Just check in, I'm doing a good job here. You might know how the rest of that story goes. He shares one of the most profound stories that I think helps us take our next step as we follow Jesus. Because Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of a man robbed and beaten, left in the ditch. And the hero of the story is not a Jew, not a man of religion, but an ethno-enemy of the Jewish people. A Samaritan, a half-blooded defector of the faith from many centuries ago, there was such hatred and division between Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus just drops that bomb in the middle of this Jewish crowd who are asking him, well, you know, I'm doing okay, aren't I? Jesus says, well, check this story out. And, and as this Samaritan, at cost to himself, picks the man up from the ditch, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn and pays for his well-being. Jesus says, which of these uh, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Was it, A, the religious person who walked on by? Or Was it the others that were too busy to stop and take notice? Or was it this Samaritan? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus responds with words that push us into action. He says, go and do likewise. <laughs> what does it mean to love your neighbour? To do good to the person before you who is in need. This is going to disrupt your day. <laughs> this is going to make a mess of our plans uh, for our financial kind of wealth, uh, for, our, for our kind of our scheduling. Uh, God's going to put in front of us people who, who are in need. And we're going to have to, in faith, work out how we might respond to that. I used to work in the city uh, a fair bit um, as I met with people, uh, you know, both being in Roseville and then Erskineville, I would meet with workers in the city and uh, as I would travel into the city, there would be lots of homeless people and I remember just feeling like totally overwhelmed, like what, what am I to do, and even if I give them money, are they just going to spend it on cigarettes and all that kind of stuff and I remember a very, very wealthy man at Roseville um, came to me and, uh, and said, can I share, because I was, I was wrestling with, this, with him and he said, can I share what, what I've done? And I said, I'm all ears, because I'm sure you just open up your wallet and save me. Uh, no, he, he didn't do that. What he did is, he, of all the people that he would come across, he would have a, he would develop a relationship with one or two particularly, that he might actually get to know them. He might get to know their name, their backstory. He might be able to actually put a smile on their face by the way he knew them and loved them. And yes, he would give as part of that, uh, often intangibles like, like food and, and whatnot. But I was profoundly challenged by... What one thing we could do to invest in the well-being of our neighbour because we have known the love of God. Our response to all this is take one step of faith, one more step following in the likeness of our great shepherd, one more step towards our neighbour, that person in need. Now, I'm not going to pretend this is simple. People have complex needs and I've got this wrong many times as I've sought to come in as the rescuer to kind of, you know, show the love of God and made a real mess of me and other people as I've overpracticed this, lost sight of boundaries, wisdom. We also have only so much capacity. Churches have even left the faith by making social action their primary mission. This is complex, it's not simple and yet the call to practice this is simple. For God calls us to love others as we have been loved. Now, as we head towards the end of this and want to invite some people up, Galatians 6 puts it like this, right? Do good to all, but especially the brothers and sisters. I just want to touch briefly on that because we are called to love whoever God puts in our path. But when, when Paul goes on to say, especially the brothers and sisters, it's not in a way that we have a higher priority to just be inward and loving in, in that way. No, no, no. What I can do is I can imagine a bunch of people released into the love of God to practice the love of God. And what might you expect would happen as a bunch of people activated by Christ come together? Well, you would expect that we would have a microcosm of the very kingdom of God people who who naturally love whoever is put before them. And when you put a bunch of people like that together, do we not have the privilege of experiencing that love and of practicing that love and even sent out from such a community to love those around us in need? We get this right sometimes and we get it wrong sometimes. I'm sure we'll hear stories of both today. But friends, can I encourage us to lean into this faith community so that we might taste and see that the Lord is good among us. Now, one of the best ways we can do this is in, for instance, small groups. Because in small groups, we actually get to know one another. We get to, And because we know one another, we get to actually meet them in their need with the gifts we have been given. Now, not all of us can be in small groups because sometimes our schedules are messy. But if you're not in a small group, or if you're not connected in with a bunch of people who are caring for you spiritually and physically and emotionally you are missing out. And I'd love to work out ways to not just put a structure over you, but to find ways to connect you that you might experience this and then be released into the community, into the world in need, that we together might show the love of God. Because we are a church that ministers to one another and loves all. This, In this way, my hope is that we would genuinely show the love of God and that people would know us, know us as disciples of Jesus because of our love. Let me pray and as I do so, I'm going to invite um, a few people to uh, grab a stool and come join me up on stage. Uh, Father, help sow these words into our heart. May we know more and more your love for us that we might be resourced to love like you, to be able to point people to you as we meet people in their needs. Father, we need help with this. It's complicated, it's messy. And so, Father, fill us with your spirit that we might be your people in your world. Amen.